0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Relentless Sermon Series, which walks through the book of Judges and sees how God is constantly pursuing his people. We hope this episode will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Let's go to Judges chapter 8 this morning. Judges chapter 8 today. Judges chapter 8 today, and we, uh, hey Brian, would you go tell Robert to put the slides, change the slides out? Would you do that? All right. Judges chapter 8 today is where we are going to be, and I hope that you've been enjoying our series. We've been going through our series Relentless, and uh, last week, this is the title of last week's message. Somehow it got put in there, but uh, that's okay. Um, the series we've been going through, Relentless, is understanding of the pursuing grace of God, that God never gives up on us. Aren't you thankful God doesn't give up on you? Man, he doesn't give up on us at all. He doesn't give up on on, uh, uh, us when we stray from him. He doesn't give up on us when we're close to him. Listen, God never gives up on his people. And I'm so thankful for that. And really, when you look at the the book of Judges, a lot of people say, well, the the book of Judges, it's God's condemnation or judgment to the nation of Israel. But really, I look at the book of Judges and I understand it and see it to be. God pursuing his people and giving grace to his people and helping his people understand who he is and the mercy that he has for each one of them. And as we've been going through this series, you'll recall that we've been understanding that uh, the relationship that God's people had with God, um, it was what we've, we've termed it this, we've termed it cyclical. All right, cyclical. It means their relationship, Israel, with God was just kind of going around and around and around. Now, let's rewind for just a moment. The Word of God helps us understand that what God did is God decided to have a people group. We call them the nation of Israel. They're children of Israel. God decided to have a people group that he would manifest or show himself strong in. He wanted the people group of the the nation of Israel to be the people that they would glorify God and they would show the world what it was like to know God and they would show the world what it was like to walk with God and find fulfillment with God. And so God came to Abraham. Remember the story? Genesis chapter number 12. Those of you that have been in church, maybe you haven't been in church for a while, but Genesis 12, here's what happened. God came to a man named Abram or Abraham and said, I'm going to take of you. I'm going to take you and I'm going to Make a great nation. So, I want you to pack up your family and I want you to move to the place that I tell you. Well, he was going to move him to the area that we know now as the Middle East, that Israel, Israel area and really the whole region right around it. So, God promised Abraham, I'm going to move you and I'm going to use you to be or show, be, be a people group or a, a, a nation that glorifies me. Well, what God did is a few years later, the children of Israel, the children of Abraham, they, kinda, they were in the land for a little bit, and then they kind of walked away. And then they went back to the land for a little bit, this land that God had promised them. We call it the promised land. They went back to that land for a little bit, and then they would go away. And they kind of had this spirit, this attitude of follow God, not follow God. Well, but God then allowed them to go into bondage, the nation of Israel under the nation of Egypt, Joseph had died, passed off the scene, and Egypt began to oppress and enslave the people of Israel. Well, what we discover taking place is that the people of Israel, they begin to cry out to God in desperation. God, do you remember us? And God brought them a leader. His name was Moses. And God went to Moses and reaffirmed the promise he had made to Abraham. Moses I'm going to take the people of Israel and we're going to, I'm going to take them back to the promised land so that they can glorify me and show the world what it means to have a fulfilled relationship. So the people of Israel, they were going back to the promised land. And if you read the book of Exodus, it records for us what happened. They go back towards the promised land. They get there and Moses sends 12 spies in the land. And you, if you grew up in Sunday school, you remember the song of 12 spies went into the land, 10 were bad and two were good. And what happens is those 12 spies go in and they bring back a report to Moses. And the report they bring back is, that land's filled with giants. This can't possibly be the right land. But two of them said, no, God promised us this land. God promised us this land. Well, if you go and read the book of Exodus It records for us that they didn't go into the land at that time, and they wandered for 40 years. Then God brought up a leader by the name of Joshua. And God said, I'm going to use you to bring Israel into that promised land. But Joshua, I have two things I want you to do. And now we're getting to the book of Judges. I have two things I want you to do, Joshua. When you get in the promised land, I want you to, number one, destroy or drive out the enemies of God. There's enemies in the land. You need to destroy them or drive them out. Number two, when you get in the land, Joshua, I want you to teach everybody that we need to keep teaching God to the next generation. Well, what we found when we come to the book of Judges is that the children of Israel, they gave God what we called partial obedience, they only, they only obeyed God a little bit. If you'll recall the story, Judges chapter number one tells us that when they got into the land, they destroyed and drove out some of the people. And if you go, you read the chapter, you read about, eight, uh, about seven or eight of the tribes, and the Bible tells us that they allowed the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Amalekites and the Midianites and the uh, Hittites and all the Ites we call them the ites and the Philistines because the Philistines are like the only enemy that don't end with Ait. I don't know why. But it's the Philistines and all the ites. They leave them there. Well, they gave God partial obedience in that and then Judges chapter two records for us in verse 12 and verse number 14 that they actually disobeyed God in that other instruction because they forgot to teach God to the next generation. And here's, what, here's the terminology that the Bible uses. It says that there arose up a generation that knew not God, and there arose up, verse 14, a generation that forsook God. That means there's a group that knew him and chose to walk away from him, that's forsook, and there's a group that didn't even know who he was. Now, you say, well, why do we call it a cyclical relationship? Because the children of Israel, through their entire existence as the people of God, they did this. Follow God. Don't follow God. Plead and cry out to God. God delivers them. Follow God. Don't follow God. And they're just going around and around and around. They're like that hamster on the wheel, you know, not getting anywhere, just going around and around. Now, the question that we've kind of posed to us every now and then through our series is, what would you do? I mean, Let's say, for just sake of thought, I mean, if you were God, what would you do with a people like that? I don't know about you, but I'd be like, (laughs) starting over. (laughs) But Judges chapter 2 and verse number 16 records what our holy God did. Here's what it says, Judges 2.16. You read it right there. You, You can see it if you want. You don't have to turn there. The first word of the, of the verse is this word, nevertheless. Man, aren't you thankful for the neverthelesses of the Bible? Man, here's God's people in this cyclical relationship, and yet we read, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. See, what God had allowed to happen is when the children of Israel would get away from him, God would allow the enemies to oppress them. And then they would cry out to the Lord and God would bring a judge. So far, we've learned about a number of judges. We've learned about Othniel, the mighty warrior. He delivered the children of Israel from the king of the Moabites, Cushan rishathaim The second judge that we looked at was a man by the name of Ehud. You remember Ehud with that, with that sharp dagger attached to his right thigh? And he was a left-handed man fighting against the fat king Eglon, king of the um, Moabites. Cushan rishathaim was the king of Mesopotamia. Sorry, I messed that one up. But Eglon, he was the king of the Moabites, and Ehud was used to deliver him. And then the third judge we looked at, Judges 3.31, Shamgar. Remember Shamgar? What did he have? A pointy stick. Shamgar and the ox goad. And what did God do? Judges 3.31 records for us that Shamgar, just like Ehud and just like Othniel, he delivered the children of Israel The next message was uh, Dan brought to us out of Judges chapter number four and five, and we learned about Deborah and how Deborah's faith sparked the faith of Barak and sparked the faith of Jael, and they overcame the oppression of of the uh, group. I forget who it was during that time, but Sisera was was one of the leaders of the group. And Remember Jael? Sisera came in running for his life from Deborah and Barak, and comes to JL and, and comes to him and thinking, he'll she'll hide me. And Sisera comes in and can I get some water? You remember the story? And Sisera, uh, can I get some water? And JL says, Well, no, but here's, here's a warm glass of milk. He had been running about six to eight miles. He's tired. He sips on this milk and he lays down. And next thing she does is grabs that long old nail and drives it right in his temple and nails his head to the floor and then walks out and stands and waits. And here comes Deborah and Barak. Hey, I got a message for you. He's inside. Dead as a doornail. I don't know what she said. That was bad, wasn't it? That was bad. But she goes out, she gets, she gets them. They come in and God delivers Israel through the faith of Deborah, Barak, and Jael. The last judge that we've been looking at, his name was Gideon. Oh, Gideon, what a a great story. Judges chapter six, seven, and eight. And what we've done, though, with the story of Gideon is, you know, through our series, we've been looking at the judges of God, but with the life of Gideon, we step back and look at the God of the judges. And what we saw with Gideon is we saw that we have have an embracing God, Remember the message a couple weeks ago, we have an embracing God. God came to Gideon and said, Gideon, I know you, I love you, and I have a plan for you. Man, aren't you thankful God knows you, loves you, and has a plan for you? Man, we're going to learn more about that tonight in our Red Letter series. I'd invite you back at six o'clock for that out of John chapter one. But we have an, an embracing God. We saw that we have an eager God. We have an eager God. You say, well, what do you mean, Pastor? Here's the children of Israel. The Bible says that they were enslaved or uh, they were uh, taken or captured or uh, oppressed by the Midianites. And Judges chapter 6, verse number... I think verse number three, four, and five uh, it records for us the oppression of the Midianites, that they were without number and they were rich. It says their camels were without number and they came and it says, it tells us that they put just such oppression upon the people of Israel that the people of Israel, I mean, they were in dire need. And you can go back and read it. It's a great, great passage. But here's what happened is they were in oppression for a number of years. You know what God was doing the whole time? He was waiting. Waiting what? waiting for them just to call out to him. And then they called out to him. He sent a prophet that said, hey, quit having this cyclical relationship. And then God sent a judge. We have an eager God. God's waiting sometimes, just waiting for you, waiting for you to come to him. We have an embracing God, an eager God. We saw we have an encouraging God. He encouraged the growth of Gideon. And through the process, God didn't say, okay, Gideon, take 300 men, fight 150,000. God actually grew his faith one small step at a time, and he does the same with us. And we took time to notice some of those thoughts last week. And then we saw the last message about the truth that we have an empowering God, that God gave the victory. That's actually where we're going to start today. We're going to start right after the victory. Now, some of you who weren't here and say, well, what victory? Don't worry. We'll get to it. But to start this morning, I want to go to Judges chapter 8 and verse number 22. Let's stand together. Judges 8, 22 this morning. <clears throat> Judges 8 and um, verse number 22. And let me get these slides. Now that they redid them, I've got to get them right. All right. Judges chapter 8, verse number 22, and let's read this together. We read these words. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also. For thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you. Neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Man, what a great verse, isn't it? I wish the story stopped there, but it doesn't. Notice the next verse, it says this, and Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. They answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. That's a lot of gold. Beside ornaments and, uh, (coughs) excuse me, collars and purple raiment, That was on the kings of Midian and beside the chains that were about their camels' necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went uh, thither, a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house." Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness forty years in the days of Gideon. And Jeroboam, or that would be Gideon, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. And Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his uh, body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. And Gideon the son of Joash died in a good old age, and was buried in the sepulchre of Joash his father in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again, and went a whoring after Balaam, and made Baal-Bareth their god. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God, who had delivered them out of the hand of all their enemies on every side, neither. Showed they kindness to the Lord of Jeroboam, namely Gideon, according to the house of Jeroboam, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed unto Israel. As we're reading this story again this morning, we're going to be challenged today with this simple thought. We're going to be challenged with not allowing our victories to actually become defeats. Because there are times in your life and my life where we allow blessings and victories to be the very things that become our downfall. And we're gonna learn some lessons today, I believe, very helpful lessons from Gideon's life about victory becoming defeat. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you take just a moment and just in the quietness of your own heart, would you simply ask God to speak to you? You can pray something simple of, dear God, please speak to me. And then would you make a commitment? God, as you speak to me, I'm listening to you and I will respond. Dear Lord, we come before you today and we thank you again for the word of God. We thank you for how you want to use it to teach us and shape us and help us. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning as we go through the uh, time in the Word, I pray that you'd help us to have ears to hear what you want to say. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to listen. And then, God, that you would help us to have the courage to respond. Lord, if there's someone here they don't know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that today would be the day they come to know you as their personal Savior. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your love. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> as, we, as we get started this morning, I just want to ask you, and you don't need to answer it out loud because I kind of already think I know the answer, but uh, have you ever won something but realized later that even though you won it, it was really a loss? You say, well, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, growing up with my sisters, I, um, you know, they're recording this. So Tony, you can stop the recording just so my sisters don't hear any of this. I'm about to admit some things and they don't need to know. I'm just teasing. I think back with growing up with my sisters. Of course, I have two older sisters, one eight years older than me, one 11 years older than me. And uh, you know, it didn't happen very much, but we would, we would play games often, but it didn't happen very much that I would win. Usually they cheated. That's why they won a lot. But I remember playing Uno, and I can remember in particular uh, times when we would play Uno, and we would sit down and go through Uno, and Uno seemed to be kind of the only game that I could play well with them. I think it was because they couldn't count. Uh, But we'd play Uno, and we'd sit down, and we'd we'd start playing that. And I can remember getting down, and I'd have one card left. I'd say, Uno! And they'd look at me, and of course, they both have five or seven cards, and I'm just sitting there like (laughs) you know, and just playing with them. And finally it came my turn and I'd throw that card down, boom. And immediately, man, i just start gloating. You guys are such losers. Oh, I beat you at Uno, ha <laughs> you know, and, and just kind of mocking and going. You know what happened after me doing that a couple of times? They quit playing. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you that just because the game is called Uno, you're not supposed to play it with Uno players, you need more than Uno players to play that. You need Dose players or Trace, right? Man, but there's been times, you know what I realized? Even even though I won at Uno, man, there were times when I kind of lost at Uno. Why? Because I ended up not playing. I ended up losing, even though, even though I won the game, I ended up maybe losing that connection to my sisters right then at that point. Uh, I think that you could probably remember times in your life when uh, maybe you thought you were, those of you who are married, you're winning the argument. You know, you come and you're thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win this argument. And you, you say that zinger, this will put her, this will get him. <clears throat> and then right after you say it, you're like, oh. man, you may have proven yourself right, but you just built up a wall in the relationship. I'll tell you real quick, another time when a victory became a loss in my life is with me and my wife and the kids. I'm telling on myself this morning. We were driving, I was driving to preach a camp in Canada, and we were on our way, and we play every now and then, we play the ABC game. You find the ABCs on the signs, and I don't know how you play it, but we play it that as you're driving along, you can only use signs, you can't use abbreviations, and and you've got to say the letter. A and pizza, you know. Uh, being bad, and you're just kind of going through. Well, we're going, I'm driving, we're playing this game, and I'm getting down to Z, W, X, Y, and the rest of the family, they were at, you know, like the kids were probably at Q, and Hannah, she was, you know, she was back at like maybe uh, Q, R, S, she's probably S or T, something like that, and we're driving, and I'm just like, man, I'm gonna beat you all again we're driving down the highway, and we get off on this exit, and by this time, Hannah had caught up. She's at X, and I'm still still feeling pretty good, and I see a pizza sign. It's got Z, Z in pizza. I see it. All I need to do is say, Z in pizza, but I don't. I just keep knowing that sign's coming. I'm driving along. And we're going, and I'm like, oh, by the way, can I tell you all something? And I'm slowing this process down. And about that time, Hannah goes, Z and pizza. (laughs) What? How did you get to Z already? And I, you know what, I got, I I wasn't really mad, but I was like, oh, come on. And then you know what the kids started saying? Well, dad, it's because you got proud. (laughs) Dad, it's because you got prideful. Man, here I am thinking I've won, and that win actually becomes a loss. When you and I come to Judges chapter number eight, we find this taking place in the life of Gideon and the children of Israel. They've won a great battle, and as a matter of fact, I want you to take your Bible and notice with me what I call an undeniable conquest an undeniable conquest, if you were to go back and rehearse all that had taken place in Judges chapter 6, and then Judges chapter number 7, in the beginning, excuse me, of Judges chapter number 8, in these passages, we meet the character of Gideon. We meet the children of Israel being oppressed by the Midianites. And the Bible tells us that they were uh, like grasshoppers for multitude. Judges 7, 12. It says the Midianites and the Amalekites, the children of the east, uh, lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And so here you have the Midianites and the Amalekites. They're in a valley right by Mount Mora. that would be the mountain right there in the distance. they're in a valley. Right right by Mount Morah, and they're stationed there, and there's 120, 150,000 soldiers and and camels and military men ready to attack and take out the children of Israel. Well, the story we heard a few weeks ago and and last week is that God called Gideon, says, Gideon, I wanna use you to deliver the people. Gideon says, okay, God, what do I do? Well, call out the men of the camp, call out the men of Israel, and 32,000 come. Now Gideon's looking out at the valley and seeing this 150,000 thinking, wow, okay, 32,000 to 150, we've got this. Everybody kills five, we'll be all right. And God says is too many. If they're scared, send them home. 22,000 go home. God comes back to Gideon. Gideon, okay, if everyone kills 15 or 20, we should be good. God comes back and says 10,000, still too many. So I want you to take them down to the spring of Herod. We call it uh, Gideon Springs. Now, I want you to take them down to the spring of Herod, and when you get down there, those that dive right into the water, send them home. Those that stay on their knee and and bring the water to their mouth, keep them. They go, and if you were here, you'll recall the story. 10,000 go down, 9,700 go home, 300 left. I can imagine Gideon thinking, now, I'm not a math major, but... That means we're all going to have to. We all got to kill a lot of people. And I can imagine Gideon thinking, God, what are you doing? Here's what God was doing. If you go back to Judges chapter seven and verse number four or verse number two, Here's what it says The Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Why? Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Do you know why God whittled it down to 300 men? Because God knew that if the children of Israel went in with 30,000, 32,000, they would say, Hey, look at what we did. Man, look at us. We took out 150,000. We're great, we're mighty. God said, I'm gonna dwindle this thing down to 300 because I want you to know, Gideon, I am the one that's doing the work. Well, if you were here, you recall the story, 300 men, they go around and they don't even take swords. They take a pitcher, like a pouring pitcher, a lamp and a trumpet. Now, I don't know about you, but those don't sound like wars for material or materials for war. Wars for material, my tang is twisted. Tungle is twisted. They, they, you, don't, you don't go out to war with a pitcher, a lamp, and a trumpet. And yet they do. They break the pitcher, shine the lamp, blow the trumpet, and then they yell, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon! That's the plan. Lord, are you sure you know what you're doing? Yet they do it, and the story is sealed for eternity in Scripture. The Midianites and Amalekites, they wake up, and they start killing off each other. But meanwhile, Gideon and his men, they're just like, hey, look, (laughs) they're all killing each other. Gideon, what do we do? I don't know. I left my sword back at the camp. Man, they let them kill off each other, and then Judges chapter 8 records for us that they get their swords, and they begin to chase the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of Succoth and Penuel, other enemy cities of of God at that time. And you go, Judges chapter 7 and Judges chapter 8, and you know what you find? You find an undeniable conquest. Well, what was undeniable about it? It was undeniably God. 300 men! 300 men take out 150,000 people. Well, how did that happen? Well, it was completely... God. Undeniably, a work that he did. Now, before I move on, I just want each of us to to do something this morning. If you've been saved, you've known Jesus for a week, or if you've known him for 10 years or 50 years, I think every one of us could do this. When you look back at your life, maybe the last week or the last two years or the last whatever, can you see some ways that God has blessed you? Can you see, if I can call it this, can you see some victories that God's given you? Oh, for some of you, maybe it was a victory over, over a sin. Maybe you were really struggling with that, with that sin, whatever it was, and, and God came and he taught you some things from scripture and helped you move past that. For some, maybe it was relationship. Man, your relationship, there are some in here, and, and I wouldn't, wouldn't call them by name, but there's some in here that when you first trusted Christ, your relationship was on the rocks, and, and the, that, that D word was there, the divorce word. We're just, we're done. We don't even love each other, and yet what God's done is God come in, and he's, he's built up a good, godly relationship. Are there still hurts and struggles? Yes, but now it's founded on the Lord. For some, maybe it's a teenager. For others, why don't, we just, why don't we just boil this down a little bit more? You know what every one of us could say? We have a lot of blessings just in the way of what we have. Man, you, if you have a house, that's a blessing from God. That's not your doing, that's God. Your, your vehicle, that's not your doing. That Well, no, I work my job. That job you have, that's God. Can I just say this morning that all of us, we too could, like Israel, look at our life and say, this was undeniably God. This is something that only God could do. And the children of Israel, they're looking at this battle with the Midianites and Gideon. They're saying, wow, this is undeniably the hand of God, an undeniable conquest. It was God and God alone. I see this morning the undeniable conquest, but then I see secondly what I call an unexpected call. An unexpected call. In our passage, the children of Israel, they make a pretty bad decision Here's the unexpected call. They call, the children of Israel, they call for Gideon to come and be their king. Nowhere in scripture do we read that God had instructed them to do this. As a matter of fact, we could say the contrary, that God did not want them to have a king set up at this time. The Bible says this, Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. Hey, hey Gideon, you've done a great work for God. Hey, Gideon, you've done a great work for Israel. We want you to come reign over us, and we want to set up a succession plan for your son and your grandson and your great-grandson. We want to set it up that you will reign over us. Can I just caution you on something? Here's what they did, and we'll see more of this in just a moment. In this verse, they got their focus on the man of God that God used rather than the God of the man. They focused on the man of God rather than the God of the man. They, they saw, well, get in you. They're, they're doing exactly what God said he was afraid they were going to do. Man, they make this, they make this unexpected question, this unexpected call, and I love Gideon's response. I said it when we were reading the passage. Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Jehovah God will rule over you. Man, if I'm sitting there in that meeting and I'm a supporter of of Gideon, the Lord, I'm jumping up, amen, Selah. Uh, Maybe they said Selah back then. They'd say amen or shake that bush or something like that. They said Selah. I don't know. But I'm in that meeting. You know what I'm doing? I'm agreeing. Yes. We we want the Lord to rule over us. And don't you wish it stopped right there. Man, we would, Brother Craig, we'd be able to say, man, look at the testimony of Gideon. Man, look at him. Boy, he he, he got this victory and he could have said, yes, I'll rule over you. But he didn't. He just pointed to God. While Gideon had a great answer, I'll just say that Israel's mistake right here is that I said a moment ago that they were looking at the man of God rather than the God of that man. Can I tell you that we too need to do the same? We need to protect ourselves from getting our focus on those around us rather than on the work of God done through those around us. Can I just help you understand this morning and, and, and just a, a quick thought? Now I think about our church, those of you that go to our church. You know, it's it's easy. It's easy to look at maybe people in our church and kind of put them up on a pedestal. Can I say that's easy to do sometimes with a pastor? That we can get our focus on a pastor or a staff member. We can say, man, Brian, he's playing that guitar real good. He does real good. Well, Mike and Rebecca do real good with him. Well, Robert's doing great with the teenagers. Oh, we got, oh, look at this. Oh, look. And, and we can begin to look at people rather than at the God those people serve. Well, I love, I love my life stage adult leader. It's Dennis Fountain Sr., And you know what we can do in, in the recycled teenagers class, or in our life builder, in our uh, firm foundations class, or life builders, or the ignite youth, or in uh, the clubhouse kids ministries. We can begin to focus upon the people, rather rather than upon the God of those people. Israel was doing that here, <clears throat> but I want you to do something with me. I, I want us to not only see this unexpected call of Israel but I want us to look at what I call an unimaginable choice. Because in these next few verses, we see Gideon make a decision that in all honesty, I step back and go, what are you doing? Here's the unimaginable choice. Gideon, verse number 24. He goes to the people and he says, but I will, you know, I'm not gonna rule over you. God is, but I got a little question for you. I got a little, I got one desire to ask of you. And they're there, yeah, Gideon, what is it? I want every man to bring me the earrings of his prey and to bring me the spoils of war. That's the earrings of prey and in the context this is what he's talking about. I want you to listen, we just had this great victory over Midianites and the Amalekites. And remember, they all killed each other and, left, and they left their camp and we got to go in and we got to pick up all of the garments and take the, the chains off. They had gold chains on their, on their camel. Some of you didn't catch that. They had gold chains on their camel. How many of you dress your dog up? I'm gonna pray for you. My grandmother, my grandmother, and she's in heaven now, So I can talk about her. She had a dog all grown up. His name was Spice. You know what Spice had? He had shoes. Spice had sweatshirts. Spice had coats. Spice had pants. I want you to let that process through your brain just for a second. How's that work out? He had, listen, who does that? Edna. Edna my grandmother, she did. And then she got a new dog, Ebony. We thought, oh, it'll be a little bit different. No, no. Ebony. She had coats, sweatshirts, little bows going her hair. I don't know many people that do that with their pet. They're doing it with their war animals, with their camels. I'm not going to say anything about a camelack because that one didn't go over well when we were working on it. (laughs) But they're there, they're putting gold chains, and so here's what Gideon does. He says, hey, we got all the spoils, we got all these blankets, all these rich garments, the, the purple and the ornaments of silk, we got all this stuff, hey, gather it all to me. And so the people, they oblige. All right, Gideon will do that, and they go and they get all this stuff, and, and they bring it to Gideon. And Gideon makes one of the most foolish choices of many of the judges in the book of Judges. What does he do? The Bible tells us that he sets up an ephod. Now, in Scripture, an ephod can be one of two things. One, it can be a garment that's worn in worship. All right, an ephod. The, uh, uh, the priests had linen ephods. They had things that they wore in worship. The other is an image or an idol comprised of everything that's put together in it. Now, Regarding the context of the scripture, the Bible tells us that we'll see it in a second. This was a snare unto him. That helps me understand. This was not an ephod for worship. This instead was a false image that he put up in Ophrah, the city that he lived in where he was from. Do you see problems with that? This is an unimaginable choice. Why? Because he goes and in those verses, Judges, <coughs> excuse me, 8:24 through 27. He gets all of that prey and then he makes this idol, this image. I have one man that he said this. He said, many are led into false ways by one false step of a good man. Let me ask you, have you ever had a time in your life when you look back, a situation that you know, if you would have just stopped talking, things would have turned out differently. You know, if I, I would've just, if I would've just held that in, wouldn't have gone that way. Now, I know it's hard for you to believe, but I've had that happen before. Um, through what's called sarcasm. And those of you that maybe have kids, you've done it with your kids or a coworker or a spouse, This is that moment for Gideon. I think Gideon, we're gonna see in just a second, would look back over his life and would say, I wish I would have stopped talking at verse 23. I wish I would have just stopped talking. I wish I wouldn't have said anything else. But he didn't. He asked for the earrings of the prey. They brought it, they gave it. And the truth is this, that Oftentimes in our life, if we're not careful, we too can pull a Gideon. Well, how do we pull a Gideon? We pull a Gideon by this. We experience God's blessings in our life. And if we're not careful, we begin to worship the work of God rather than the God of the work. That's exactly what they did. They began to worship God what had been done rather than the one who had done it. They set up this ephod. Now they look back and they look back and think, wow, you guys remember that? Remember Midian? Remember that? Wow, we really did something there. And the Bible says that you can go and you can see it that all of Israel, it says they went a whoring after it. That means they committed idolatry with this ephod that was set, this image, this idol that was set up, they began to worship it rather than worshiping God. Man, I I think if you'd agree with me, that's an unimaginable choice. Why, Why would you choose that? But before we go today, I want us to see lastly what I call an unavoidable consequence. An unavoidable consequence. If we were to go to our passage and read verse 27 down through verse number 35, which we won't, but I want you to notice one phrase in verse number 27. It says this, which thing, speaking about the ephod that was set up, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. This decision to set up this ephod, it became a snare. The word snare here, it means a trap or a noose. In this particular passage, the word snare, it means to set up a, like a, set up a personal noose. What's a noose used for? A hanging. What was he doing? The Bible tells us that he, listen, The Word of God tells us that his decision to worship the work of God rather than the God of the work, it became the death of him. It became a torment to him. It became a trap for him. It became a snare for him. If you were to go and you read the story, and and we don't have time to cover everything, but you go towards the end of the story, you know what happened? God's people, they forgot that Gideon ever even served them. Verse 33, 34, and 35 record for us that when Gideon died, they just neglected his family. They forgot forgot everything about him. The context of the passage would help us understand that Gideon, he went back to Ophrah, and he never again, never again did something great for God. All the children of Israel lived in peace, but do you think that's all God wanted for his people? Do you think God was like, I'm done with you at the Midianites and the Amalekites? No, personally, listen, personally, I think that God had more for Gideon. God wanted to do more through Gideon. God had many blessings that he wanted for the children of Israel done because of Gideon and Gideon's uh, experience and maybe Gideon's conquest of more of the oppressors of Israel. But what do we read? We read that Gideon went back to his homeland. He went back to his home and he got involved in idolatry and false worship. And that thing became a a, snare, a noose, a trap for him. You see, what had happened is God had given them a great victory, but the result is that they began to worship the victory rather instead of worshiping the God who granted the victory. And the word of God tells us that when Gideon died, Israel went after not only the Ephod, but they went after Balaam and they went after Baal bereth which was the deity of the Shechemites. And the key phrase in the passage is is in verse number 34. It says, "And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God." Can I just say this morning this is the unavoidable consequence. When a person when a when an individual gets their eyes off of God and gives that position of kingship or that throne To anyone or anything else, the results are always devastating. I'll say it this way when you put something before God in your life, you will always regret it. It is an unavoidable consequence, it's always a regrettable decision. And can I just sum things up and help us understand this morning that there are some believers in here that you've allowed the blessings or the victories of your life to become that which you worship instead of the God who gave you those things? You see, there's a lot of people that they worship their job. They ascribe worth to their job. The job is what they live for. And they get up and I just live for my job and I live for that dollar. And you are worshiping, you're ascribing worth, you're committing your life to invest fully and completely into a dollar rather than the things of eternity. Now, is work bad? No. God says we should work. But when that work becomes my idol, that work, I'm worshiping it. It's idolatry. That blessing of God. For some people, it's things they have. For some people, it's the boat, it's the jet skis, it's the, boat. It's the kayaks, it's the house, it's the cars, it's the hunting, it's the, it, it's the camp, whatever it is. We have these things that are blessings, they're good, but we begin to invest into them more than we put into God. We begin to pursue or go after or worship them more than we worship God. For some, it starts with people, Listen, your marriage is a blessing, but your spouse is not God. I praise the Lord for Hannah, but you know what I've done before? I've allowed, I've allowed my wife to take that position that God would have. You say, well, what do you mean? Times in my life when I'm maybe uh, 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 giving more to her and, and worshiping, well, I'm just so concerned about Hannah, and, so, and I forget. You know what? God is first. She's secondary. She's secondary how dare you say that about the wife? She wants me to say that. Every godly spouse is going to say, I want to be second in my spouse's life. I want God on the throne. But let me just say, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we like Israel and we like Gideon, we begin to worship what has happened rather than the one who made it happen or allowed it to happen. When it says that this was a, this thing was a snare unto Gideon, who do you think? Who do you think helped set that snare? I think it was the devil. Why? Because he's out to destroy the people of God, and I believe that God he allowed Gideon to make this decision, but the devil is the one who kind of helped it become a trap. And so now the Ephod is what was focused upon rather than the God who brought the victory that the ephod represented. I'll say this, that Gideon, the children of Israel, they ended up leading an entire generation from God because of their decision to worship the blessings of God more than the God of their blessings. Now, I just want to close out this morning by giving you a verse. The verse is great. It's Psalm 100, verse number three. It says this. It says, know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Can I just tell you any good in your life or in my life, anything worth celebrating, it's he that made us. It's God that allowed it, not us any of your victories over over maybe some sin or your blessings that you've seen, listen, rather than celebrating, rather than uh, um, uh, worshiping them, can I encourage you, just celebrate them and keep your focus on the Lord. We should reflect on blessings, shouldn't we? Man, all the time, the scripture's filled with praising the Lord for the blessings in our life and looking back at the victories and recounting those stories with people. And God even wanted that to happen. He wrote it for us in scripture that we recount the story of Gideon and say, wow, praise God for what happened. But what they were doing is they were worshiping the, the work rather than the God behind it. Can I caution us against the same thing? celebrate victories and blessings, but don't worship them. Well, why? Because we need to remember that God has more. God had more for Gideon. You go read Judges 1, the Amalekites and Midianites weren't the only enemies in the land. I think God still wanted them to do more. Can I tell you, God has more for you. You may look at your victories and say, well, I kind of listen None of us reach the pinnacle of growth. God wants more for you. God has more for you. So instead of worshiping what good has happened, celebrate it, thank the Lord for it, but keep that focus right on the Lord. And don't allow the victories to become your defeat. This morning I'd say this, that if you're here and you know Christ, if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, would you make the decision today that God, I am not going to allow my victories to become defeat. God, I'm choosing this week. Whatever blessings you give me, I'm keeping my focus on you. This week, I'm just focusing on God. But then maybe you're here today and you don't know that if you you don't you don't know that if you died you'd go to heaven. I want to ask you this, just a simple question: Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Are you sure if you died today that you'd spend eternity with him? If you're here and you can't answer that, in just a moment, we're gonna have what's called an invitation. And I'll invite you to come, someone will take a Bible, they'll show you how you could know for sure you're going to heaven. Again, if you know Christ as your savior, will you make the decision today? I'm not gonna allow my victories to become my defeat. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.